and one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode fifty, big five zero, halfway to one hundred. Fifty. My goodness, this seems like it'd be a really important one that we've got lots of preparation and planning for, Kaiser. So tell me. <laughs> no, no, that's not the case. But the, the, think about it: two more, and we've been doing this for an entire year. Fifty-two yeah. is is the year mark. So we'll have Jesus. to make that one special. We will even more special than normal. Oh, that tea is hot. I just burned my tongue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this morning, um, we're going to start off with a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is um, very addictive games. Uh, so, I think, I don't know, have we talked about Factorio before on the podcast? I assume we, I mean, it's been a year now. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. Um, so for those that don't know, Factorio is this game, like it sounds, like you're con uh, constructing a factory. Uh, but what I think makes it the most appealing to me is it's very organic the way you start, uh, like, building things up. You end up just in a wilderness with a pickaxe and a gun and some shitty armor, and that's it. <laughs> and um, from there, you build, like, mining equipment, you start to get you know, build a stone furnace and start to smelt some iron and copper. Then you use that to build some, you know, electrical equipment and then you get automatic mining things and then you build conveyor belts and before you know it, you've got a giant factory with trains and robots and all this other fun stuff. Yeah, when you start off, it's kind of a weird amalgamation of old and new technology because the new technology, you're coming obviously with a gun to a new planet from a spaceship. Uh, but at the same time, you have to, like, cut down trees, you have to make, as you said, furnaces made out of stone, have to mine stone, and then gradually you kind of get back up to the stage where you arrived on the planet where you're having, like, a spacesuit, a gun, and uh, a spaceship. Um, yeah. And then, like, the reason we're bringing up that game, that game's actually been out for quite a while now, uh, a few years, in fact, and definitely sank quite a few... Uh, hours into that, we've done multiplayer servers before, which have had hilarious results. Um, the new game that has kind of sucked, it sucked me in, it sucked in several of my friends, and now it's got blue as well. well um, shall, shall, should we go straight to the new game, or should we go to the Evolution of Factorio? Yeah, okay, let's let's go with the second one, because that's, that's where we're yeah. going with this. So the second game, uh, which I didn't play nearly as much as uh, you did, uh, was Satisfactory. <laughs> Do you want to give a walk game. through that one since you've you've played it more? I would love to. So where Factorio was a very dull brown greys kind of colour. Uh, it was top down, so bird's eye view of, of the whole place. And it would all be about it was all regimented to like certain squares, so you you everything had a certain amount of space, uh it was all properly aligned up, all sorts. Satisfactory was they they took the idea of Factorio and they made it a a first person game for a start. So rather than looking down on this little man, you are that man. You've got like a wacky stick to deal with aliens, and uh, yeah, the 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 scenery is kind of it's even though you don't play it much, you got to admit the scenery is quite amazing. Yeah, for a factory game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can kind of jump around on top of your buildings, all sorts. You can build multiple layers on top of each other. Uh, but the core mechanic of it is much the same as Factorio, where you put 
you know, iron ore into a furnace to make iron bars, to make wire, and etc, etc, etc. And eventually you end up... Actually, what is the end game of Factorio? Oh, you mean um, Satisfactory? Satisfactory, sorry, yeah. End game of Factorio is to get off the planet again, you have to build a rocket. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if there is an end game of Satisfactory yet. Um, mm -hmm. The time when I played it most, uh, the last stuff was just cool things, like you can make train stations and stuff like that to ferry you around faster, and you have really good guns and jetpack. Yeah. To be fair, uh, an end game isn't necessarily that important for games like that. I mean, Minecraft didn't no. have an actual point for the first, like, mm. five to ten years it existed. And people still fucking love that, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a... Uh, one thing that they added in Satisfactory is that every so often you'd come across a crashed dropship, which had recipes that would give you more efficient ways of making things. Mm. Uh, so there was a reason to explore... Uh, quite a bit, and uh, eventually they made an update where they introduced um, fluid mechanics into the game, which I wasn't a massive fan of. Uh, it was a lot hard. It's a lot hard to balance uh, fluid ounces as opposed to just balancing how many items there are on a tray. Yeah, uh, and with that also came uh, nuclear power, which mm. again, it, the nuclear power was actually quite fun. It was a lot easier than balancing water, really. It's kind of kind of weird, um, and yeah, I, that's kind of the point I got to. I don't. There's probably been more updates since then because that was quite a while ago. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of very different, but very the same as Factorio. Yeah, you could go for the third installation in the series. Yeah, and we should be clear that none of these are made by the same developer. They're all oh, of course. they're all made by completely different people, but they all follow very similar themes and. The third game, the one that I've been playing the most recently and within, like, four days had dumped, like, 24 hours into, mm. um, was called Dyson Sphere Program. Uh, for those that don't know, a Dyson Sphere is a theoretical construct um, that was thought up by a scientist. I actually don't know when um, this theory was, was put out, but essentially the idea is that if a civilization were able to construct a... a you know, construct around a star, they could harvest theoretically infinite energy. So right off the bat, that's the goal of this game, is to do that. The amount of material needed to do that is astronomical. So, mm. of course, this game takes place in space! You start off on, like, one random planet as, like, a drone that landed there, and again, you have basically nothing. You can mine stuff, but you have no real equipment. And from there, you build smelters and miners and conveyor belts and then once you've done that for a while then you're building like oil extractors and chemical plants and then once you've done that for a while now you have enough fuel you can fly between planets and then you do the same thing on another planet that maybe has resources that didn't show up on the first one um one notable difference that this has that uh mm -hmm. the other two well no the other two had which this one doesn't have is that there are no enemies in this game yeah. Whether they're going to introduce them later? Because we, we've discussed this. This is an early access game right now, so they could add enemies in the future. Mm. Yeah, um, Fac Factorio actually had enemies that... I used to call them Greenpeace monsters because they responded to the amount of pollution your factories put out. Like, the more pollution, yeah. the more enemies would show up and the stronger they would be. 
There seems to be a big push in this game on uh, green renewable energy though, like most of the uh, energy creating buildings are like either harnessing air or uh, light, or I'm sure there's probably a water one, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't encountered a water one yet, but I mean, okay. you say that, but I have so much like built up like coal and other resources, I've got like 80 mm. furnaces on my home planet. See, okay, so <laughs> I... I was like, oh, should I, should I make a furnace? Um, because I do, like you said, there's tons of coal in the starting planet. But I really like the look of the twirly-swirly air towers. <laughs> and so I've got them... I'm, I'm slowly making my way. I'm putting them spaced evenly around any body of water. So all of the water in my world has been like lined with these swirly-whirly towers. Oh my god. I uh, have... I, I don't know, I, like, I'm using solar panels because I found one planet that was rich in silicon, so I had tons of materials right. to make solar panels, so I think the next planet that I, I colonized, I went to the, the northern pole of the planet, the one that's, mm. you know, usually facing the sun or always has at least some sunlight on it, and just put, like, 80 solar panels, and that's how that planet is powered. But even that isn't, isn't as efficient as putting down, like, 10 coal plants. Like, the, the right. burning fuel in the furnaces tends to give you a lot more energy. Um, well, yeah. I started putting down solar panels, and then I clicked on one and realized that they only give you 50 kilowatts more than the regular 300 kilowatt towers. Yeah. Whereas... And, that's, and they only work during the day. <laughs> it's yeah. like... And here's where the furnaces come in. They burn fuel, but they're giving you, like, 9 megawatts. And yeah. per piece yeah. of fuel burned, and they don't use that much fuel, especially when you start to get into the like the oil chemicals, and you're making like sulfuric acid. You end up with a ton of extra hydrogen, and you can burn really that. A hydrogen. So the point where I'm at the moment, and bear in mind, I got the game what last night? No, the night before. Yeah, and I'm currently at the stage where I, I've researched. Um, was it that that like radar dish, the solar wave? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yep. So so that that's the other thing. Uh, I think when you were talking about things being emphasized with like green energies, um, I think it's kind of in the name. We're talking about a Dyson sphere. The idea is that like solar energy is the whole yeah. point. So eventually, what you're at now, like you can put like solar sails around the mm. sun, and then from the sun, about. yeah, you're using that that dish to absorb the energy that's projected by those solar sails. Mm. The biggest pain in the ass, though, much like in Satisfactory, for me so far, has been how did I, how do you get hydrogen mm. before you have the ability to, uh, what is it, not plasma, um, there's something that allows you to move refined oil and mm. one refined oil to hydrogen and turn it into a charcoal briquette and three hydrogen or something. Yeah. Now, you don't get that initially. And so I had to, like, manually make 400 red potions to get that technology. Like, it was a pain in the ass. Because at the moment, I'm just, I'm just stackpiling refined um, oil because I have no use for it up until I am like that. Mm. Um... 
I mean, you don't you don't need to get that technology. That's that's like an advanced thing. You can get hydrogen without doing that. You can, but then the, you get a massive excess of refined oil, which yeah. But the refined the oil the tanks fill up. I I just used the refined oil to make silicon. That that's and so I ended up with a fuckload of silicon oh. and didn't use it for anything for not silicon. Um, there's little rods you can make. I can't remember what they're called. Plastic. Plastic, thank you. The white ones, yeah. Yeah. I, I knew, um, what the, in classic form, I knew what the resource looked like, but I couldn't remember the name of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've looked at that. I haven't got around to it yet. Um, yeah, I'm currently, I've just kind of perfecting my red potion product. This is not, we've gone too technical. Um, we have, but but the point, point being, like, people can see exactly how absorbing these games can be. And there's hmm. definitely a certain kind of uh, person that, that is drawn in by this, if you've ever... Linked, you know, I don't know if you ever played with Legos as a kid. You're probably gonna enjoy games like this to a certain degree. Um, yeah, but it's it's, it's very absorbing. Very, yeah, it's certainly not a cutesy game. No, it's certainly not an action-packed game. Yeah, it's a you know you know when you like complete a really hard maths puzzle and you're like fuck yeah I nailed that. It's a very I feel good. It's satisfying. That. Yeah, it's satisfying. It's it's very satisfying to play. Like when you first get like a a big project off the ground and completed and see it running, it just feels good. Hence the name satisfactory, I'm sure. Well, yeah, that's probably it's where the they got from the first games. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, Dyson Sphere program. Um, I should also mention we're not sponsored by any of these things. We're not sponsored by anyone. <laughs> no. Well, I mean their enjoyment is what's paying us to talk about it. That's a good point. But, yeah. If you if you like these kind of games, you probably like this. It's just... Oh, I, I Just talking about it, I want to play more of it now, but I've got a whole yeah. work day in front of me. <laughs> uh, and it's a, bit, it's a very solo game. I would love to see it become multiplayer, like Satisfactory and Factorio have yeah. become. Oh, I can you imagine really that? Cool. Like, you know, multiple people flying around to different planets... You could end up with like, um... oh my god! I think it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot like the other two, um, in almost every way. The multiplayer, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just it's something I would be very excited. I'm sure they're probably planning on coming out with it. Because I mean, again, yeah, it's because it's still in early access. And the other thing is, it is only it's on sale right now when we're recording this, but it probably won't by the time this goes mm. out. But it's ten percent off. Even full price, it's twenty dollars. Like it's such a good. Yeah. Oh, anyway, let's I've not. I've been. Sorry. I've been. Uh, I've been. Been being being good, not buying too many games recently. But this was one after I had so many sparkling reviews from you and Kevin and like your friends. I know have been playing it and loving it. Yeah, uh, Jesse. Yep. Juan and Charlie um, got sucked into. Yeah, and it is it is a massive time sink, but sometimes that's what you need from a game when you get sick and bored of all the other games. Yeah. We would highly recommend this game. So, now that we've been positive, uh, I believe you had a topic that is uh, significantly more negative. <laughs> well, I don't know how long this topic will go on for, but uh, I had a freaking... Not a tantrum, because it was, it was well justified. <laughs> I was pissed off earlier this week. Um, Riot Games Valorant. Now, we've shat on this game and talked up much in the past. Yeah. We, we should ah. talk it, but we've both played it quite a bit. Yes. 
it's the actual, when you get into an actual game, the games are pretty fucking fun, alright? Mm. They're better than CSGO because they have, like, a fraction of the cheaters. <laughs> and that's about it. My, uh, my issue is the same issue I had with CSGO. The matches are way too fucking long. Right, like, yeah, you want the short ones, like I, I would, matches. Exactly, I want, like, if they halved the number of rounds, I think I would love that game. Like, I'd actually mm. play it significantly more. But, upwards... I think just straight up copying Wingman would be fucking great. Yeah. The, the best of 13 is so long of a match. Mm. Unless you're completely dominating your opponent. Sorry, I, this was supposed to be your rant, not mine. No, no, it's fine. Also, it's first of 13, not best of 13. Oh, yeah, okay. so first to 13. But still, it has yeah. the potential to go on for 25 rounds. Or more, yeah. if it goes into overtime. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty harsh. Um, but the thing I was frustrated about was, I was getting on for the first time in, like, uh, a couple weeks. I was going to play with Yumi, and it was like, update, okay, fine. Do the update, that's whatever. First the update, uh, try to play it, it takes... Forever to load Valorant. I don't know what engine they use. I'm not particularly clued in about that kind of stuff, but it seemed to take forever. And I finally got in, and it was like, the game has crashed. <laughs> uh, and like, oh, fuck my life. Okay, fine. I'll just. Sometimes this shit just happens. Just try to boot it up again. Same thing happened. After about a 10 minute wait, the game crashes. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yumi was like, I think I've had this problem before. Just try restarting your computer. So I did. Mm -hmm. Restarted my computer. Tried it again. 15 minute wait before it crashed this time. Um, like, the, the amount of time it's taking just to get onto the game was astronomical. So, I quit out of the game. I restarted it. Another 15 minutes later and it finally fucking worked. It took me like an hour to get into this game, not including the update. I mean, this is, I think, a, and this isn't limited to, like, Riot, but this is this is a, a, a trend that I don't like, and it, it really is happening more and more with these, like, live service type games. Mm. The ones where you have to, you don't buy them. They're, they're usually free to play, or if they're not, they're usually fairly cheap, but they, they basically make their money off of, like, just only multiplayer. There's no real story. It's like it's it's a model that was kind of started with Overwatch, but well, not really. COD, but, I guess. Yeah, I guess COD started doing it before that. But the game, the game type I'm talking like it's just multiplayer. You get on, you play multiplayer matches, and you there's battle passes. You unlock stuff, mm. or you buy stuff. You can buy new characters, buy new skins for weapons, and things like that. There's there's a serious emphasis on just getting them out the door and getting them running so they can start making the cash and then use the cash to patch the game into actually working. Well, hopefully they do that. <laughs> yeah, hope again. Yeah, hopefully. But th that's that's what I mean is the worrying trend is it's really really annoying that I mean the, these games are successful, so there's going to be people who continue to purchase them and continue to buy things on them and continue to make yeah. it a viable business model. And I know we have uh, very differing views on exactly what uh, su sustains gambling, mm. but in my mind, 
these online-only games are kind of like gambling. Like, you're not using money. I'm not talking about, like, microtransactions or anything like that. You go on, and there's, let's say, a 50-50 chance that you'll either win or lose. You'll either have a good time or a bad time. It's a 50-50 gamble every time you start up one of these games that you're going to enjoy it or you're going to fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and more often than not, with the uh, the way that these games, the kind of people they attract, because they are more easily pissed off, is that even when you win sometimes, you're still going to be not happy, because your teammates are douches. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's, it's a lower barrier for entry. And you think that it would get better as you climb up in the ranks in these games like mm -hmm. maybe people in the higher ranks are probably going to be like better that's doubtful because they had to go through the um you know the absolute the gauntlet of people who were yeah yeah that's like i hear a lot from people is that you know they're like oh once you get to silver or higher people are it's so much nicer it's so much more fun people are so much just kinder kind of bullshit all right first of all a lot of the people that say these things haven't ever been in Silver or Higher. <laughs> and I don't mean that in an assaulting way. I'm just like, they, they seem to think that the grass is green on the other side, but... They have a dream for the future. It doesn't really, like, you still get... Pe people say that in CSGO, you only get cheaters at, like, Silver and below. Well, Silver is the lowest, but whatever. Yeah. And once you get to, like, Master whatever, then it's all just really good players, and it's really nice call-outs, and people take the game seriously. Now, people have hacks that are good enough, and are good enough to hide them, you just don't realise that they're cheating as often, maybe, in the higher levels. Mm. They, people don't just stop being assholes when they get to a certain rank, People just get better at hiding their cheats, or I don't know. Yeah, it's it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help getting higher rank. <laughs> now, cheat, cheating aside, I, I think that just like there are, there, there's going to be dickheads everywhere. That's one of the reasons that the I think probably the most pleasant competitive ranked game experience I've had has been um, StarCraft because it's just mm -hmm. you. There's no teammates to yell at you. You can't yell at your teammates. It's If you fuck up, it's your fault. Can you do random matchmaking 2v2? Yeah, you can. Okay. It's I mean, just, I imagine that's probably pretty <laughs> it's, it's weird. I mean, I, most, I've played it a few times, and mostly it's just... I don't know. People just don't even talk to each other, really. Maybe it's yeah, different I, at the higher ranks. The highest... So... In Team 2v2, I've gotten as high as Masters before in StarCraft. Um, hmm. In Ranked 1v1, I'm, you know, I've been in Diamond for a while, but... Sorry, these ranks probably don't mean anything. They, mo the, like, the more common like ranking system that people work off in these, these games now starts off low, so it goes like Bronze, Silver, Gold, Platinum, Diamond, Master, and then there's usually some kind of a pro league above that. Like Global, Grand. yeah. Yeah. But they're different for every fucking game. <laughs> yeah, they're all slightly different. Yeah. StarCraft used to have more. I think StarCraft 2 actually started that ranking system, because I'd never seen it anywhere else until mm. I started 
playing on um, on StarCraft. And they had Most more than that at first. They had copper skill. below bronze at first. Oh, jeez. You need the amount of skill required to get each kind of, like, the third rank up is completely different in each game. Because, I mean, look at Minion Masters. They've got wood rank, stone rank. Then is it... Bronze. Bronze, I think? Yeah, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, master, master elite. Yeah, it's... And, it, you're and right, the average it, player sits at about silver, I'd say. It, it's an exponential different, I, difference. I know in StarCraft, like, bronze is like 30 to 40% of the population. Silver is like another like 20% of the population. Gold is only like 10% of the population. Platinum's only like 5. Diamond's mm. like a... a I'm, I'm, making, I'm pulling these numbers off the top of my head, but it... Each rank up is a smaller and smaller portion of the the total player base. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh my god! Now I'm just now I want to play StarCraft. Why is it the work day today? Why do I have to work? I want to call in sick. <laughs> so you can pay for all those microtransactions to get Rain or a new uh, summer hat god before it, it goes off of sale. <laughs> Don't 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 start me on fucking microtransactions. <laughs> uh, do you think I don't know? Do you think you would enjoy StarCraft Two with cosmetics? It has if you could earn them in game. It does. Does yeah. it? Yep. Yeah, you can get skins for Zerglings and Roaches and your units and whatever. Okay, I don't know that. Yep. Are they like super serious skins? Um. Some of them. There there aren't that many of them, and there there are a couple that you have to pay for um but most of them you you earn um like i have a couple uh skins in the game that i got just because like i have all the expansion passes like i have the all three campaigns and then the bonus campaign mm -hmm. and because of that i have like and i also got like uh i was in the beta so i have like a couple skins that i got for that but yeah mm. it's not nearly as prolific as other games um yeah but I've always the, the kind of skins I've always preferred were ones that you could only get through completing certain challenges or achievements. Yeah, uh, I agree. That's something that, that I really liked about Payday. Even though Payday has over a thousand achievements, it's kind of they really went overboard with that shit. Um, a lot of the masks, a lot of the weapon skins, a lot of the weapons, in fact, you can only get by doing these uh, difficult challenges, and it kind of uh, gives an actual meaning to the skins because if someone sees you walking around with a particularly rare mask like uh, there's yeah. masks that you can only get by completing every single level in the game on a certain difficulty level mm. if you've then got that mask you're either a fucking legendary player at the game who knows his shit or you're a you know hacking cheating piece of shit <laughs> in which case it's quite easy to call those people out because they have like less than 100 hours of game time and yeah, it's very obvious. <laughs> they did a similar thing in Halo Three. There was a I can't remember what the piece of armor was. There were there were two pieces of armor that were extremely difficult to get, and you had mm. to complete some very very specific thing. So it was it was always like, oh god, this you know this guy's got this. I think one was the the recon helmet, and I can't remember exactly how you got it. And the other one was the uh, the ninja armor. Like, or mm. samurai armor, because it was like the normal Spartan armor, but you had, like, 
samurai sword sticking cool, out of your yeah. shoulder, and then like it looked like an actual, you know, samurai helmet. Well, it, actually, you know, it kind of looked like uh, if you ever seen Shredder from the Ninja Turtles. That's kind of what the helmet looked yeah, like. Yeah, the like under mask. Yeah, yeah, Can't with remember. the the bladed helm. Hmm. Oh God. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that so was much, that so was much. my rant for the. Oh, God, fuck. I, I, I mean, big companies seem to be doing making worse and worse crap each year, and small little individual companies seem to be coming up with better shit. I mean, that's that's what's going to actually force things to change. Uh, one one thing I can, I'm kind of conflicted on just in the last couple minutes we have before we have to end segment one. Um, yeah. Is Halo Infinite just announced that their multiplayer was going to be free to play? Right. So you can you buy the game full price, and you'll you'll get the campaign, you'll get the multiplayer, and you probably get some bonus stuff that you can use um, skins and whatnot for the the multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's there's other features or what whatnot, but the multiplayer itself is going to be free to play, which is either going to do one of two things. Like either it's it means that. It, <laughs> It's not going to be great, and they are like just hedging their bets, trying to make it a live service model, or they're making this move to try and make sure that they have a solid and consistent player base. Like they're not going to run out of people to play the game. Hmm. And I'm hoping it's the latter. From everything I've seen about the multiplayer so far, like I, I love Halo. It's the it was the it was the shooter that made me want to play shooters. Like. I, I never played first-person shooters before that. They weren't really my game type. Then I played Halo 1, and since then, I love them. Yeah. And I feel like I drag you into most of the first-person shooter games you play. <laughs> I mean, the only reason I play, yeah, Rainbow Six, Valorant, CSGO. CSGO, CSGO yeah. to be fair, Kevin and Jake dragged me into that one first, but you dragged me into yeah. playing it competitively. Yeah, you, you played it like a year or two before. And then yeah. I was like, let's play this together, and I made you play it a lot more than you did back then. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, I'm hopeful, I, but I, I, I'm definitely going to play it when it comes out. I've played every Halo game, um, but as the new ones have come out, I've played them less and less. I probably peaked with Halo 2. Like, Halo 1 I played mm-hmm. a ton, Halo 2 I played a whole lot. Halo 3 I played a lot too, but less because I was in college, um, and I didn't have as much time. Halo 4 was... Halo 4 kind of sucked. Halo Reach was good. Halo 5, I played it because it was a new Halo game, but I, again, it was only friends that kept me on it. So, mm. here's hoping for the new one. Indeed. Anyway. And with that word of confidence, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Just that, that, that tiny little, oh god, please don't be shit. <laughs> Don't shit on me again, company. <laughs> God damn it. All right. This is going to be the end of segment one of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear us again momentarily for segment two. And welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on segment two, our media segment. We did not do movie night this week. Very busy week. Fourth of July was this week. Uh,. Well, was. what's Fourth of July again? Freedom Week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Independence okay, Day cool. in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but you said you had something you wanted to talk about, so take I us away. Do so. I was just sitting minding my own business, watching some—I uh, don't know—One Piece probably, 
And Lucy was like, hey, my parents have been watching this um, program, a Terry Pratchett program on TV. Which I had not realised was out. Because I thought it was just those three really weird janky movies, which I, you know, going postal has a special place in my heart, as we've discussed previously on the podcast. Yep. Uh, now, I'm sure you have uh, some recollection of going postal, right? The the time it was set in, the kind of themes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I really liked that movie. Like it, it could it could appeal to both kids and adults, mostly I'd say. Uh, well, the watch is, uh, and I, I've told you briefly about this story before, but uh, I've not gone into any detail on it. The uh, Ankh-Morpork, book, the city where all of this is set, mm. uh, has uh, the watch house, which is another word for the police of, of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're led by a, a small contingent of, of very ca- colourful characters um, who are pretty hopeless at their jobs until uh, one character called Carrot comes in from uh, the, these rural mountains. Uh, he's the son of... He's the adopted son of a dwarf. So everyone else is a dwarf in this mountain, but he... It's actually a particularly tall human. Um, okay. So he comes to the city because his parents can't really have him in like these tiny tunnels underground. Hmm. And he joins the watch. Now he's super um, diligent of the law. He believes that if someone's thieving, they should be arrested, etc., etc. Now, Art Morpork, as you know, has a thieves guild. It has an assassin's guild. It has like a chemist's guild, where they make, you know, all kinds of shit. Uh, And so he just starts arresting people left and right, and it causes a big hubbub. Anyway, that's kind of where the watch starts. Mm. The watch TV series, however, again, I'll just cast your mind back to that quaint, kind of old-fashioned style that they had, where crossbows were kind of the most advanced thing that they had. Yeah. The watch opens... And it's, imagine, what's the description I gave Alicia? Um, they're wearing leather jackets for a start. <laughs> Already, yeah, your eyes are squinting. They're wearing, like, the, uh, you know, the, the police um, on chain things with, like, the, the medallion, whatever, yeah. on their chests. Yeah. Um, they've got, like, very fashion-forward everything. Like, dyed hair, stuck-up spiky hair, um, very modern trends. And so, so it's, it's, it's like a completely different genre. It's like cyberpunk. What was it? I, I said that. It was cyberpunk meets Star Wars. That's what it feels like, right? What Which, as hell? you can imagine, is completely fucking different <laughs> from... Ankh Morpork, as we know it. So they just took like the general story and theme of the. Um... Hmm. They took a few of the main characters. Yeah, they took the, all the names, and they took a a lot of the attributes. Like the dude was still the son of a dwarf, and he came to the watch. Yeah. So like, it's close enough that you can say that they're trying to be true to the book. And then they have this massive curveball, um, 
where it's actually in a completely different kind of time zone, it feels like. Um, and, yeah, they're all, like, it's not just, like, shitty crossbows they're walking around with, it's kind of, like, modern-day, like, modern-day crossbows, if that makes sense, like, handheld. Yeah. An arbalist. Uh, I guess, yeah. Um, and, so Death is in it, which I think Death is a very important character in Terry Pratchett books, but they made him look fucking ridiculous. He looks like... You know, a shadowy figure in a cloak, which is great, that's fine. He's got a side, that's good. And it's a pretty small side, but whatever. But they've stuck, like, two blue LED lights under his head. And it completely takes, like, it... it oh, it looks wrong. And he sounds like someone you'd meet in a pub. He yeah. does not have this ominous... Don't, don't get me wrong. Terry Pratchett humanizes all these gods and death, etc. By giving them voices and such. But Death should have still have a booming voice. He should not be like, I mean, I don't <laughs> over exaggerate, but he's kind of like, all right, Governor, you know why you're dead. Oh my god! It's like what the fuck? That's not Death. Made Death um, sound like a shitty administrator. And I don't know. One of the things. So the watch, obviously, probably my favorite part of the Terry Pratchett series. They've taken out the two. Probably most important... Okay, not the two most important characters. The one most important character, and a kind of... Eh, not as important, but still integral character. And that is Sir Nobby Nobbs of The Watch. They've taken him out. He is fucking hilarious. He was the comedy of the thing. Mm. He was the only, like, standard human in The Watch. But he was such a weird asshole. He was the least human there. <laughs> I, I don't know how to put it in a better way than that. Um, and then they also had, like, a, a corporal or something. His name I can't remember, but he's, like, the, the higher-up between the captain and the, the little people. Yeah. But they've gone for all of the um, the wacko characters apart from that. All the, the non-human ones. They have Detritus the Troll, mm. which, trying to make a golem in any production... I've never seen anyone do a good golem, right? Like stone giant kind of thing and make it look good. Yeah. Doesn't look good. There is a female dwarf in the books, right? Now, in this world, as in many fantasy worlds, even female dwarves have beards, right? Yes. Right. So that was a whole thing in the book series where they were coming, kind of coming to, to grips with their like femininity and eventually I think they shaved their beard. In this, they have just kind of taken a lazy route, but also a route that's very politically correct, where they've just put a uh, a, a transgender character in. They're, they're, they're still a dwarf, but... Oh, sorry, I'm trying to remember the pronouns right now. So, it's... It, it's... It's... <laughs> It's a person with a, a um, quite the jawline, right? So they they are tr a trans person, and they've put them in this role, and they've shaved the beard off instantly. Like you never see them with a beard. And their stories that are just like the moment they got to the city, they were sick of it, and so they just shaved their beard. But I'm pretty sure dwarves in the story, even the women, were actually kind of proud of their beards and and such and uh like 
I don't know, there's a whole, like, massive story behind this. And they kind of just Glossed threw it out it. and put a trans person in there. That's... Um, which, I mean, they're not a trans person. They're a female dwarf. Like, they're not... I don't know, it, it kind of annoyed me. Um, it sounds and... like, from what you're describing, like, all of this sounds like somebody who had a passing understanding of the source material and just decided to write their own story with a Terry Pratchett skin on it. Yeah, it's like a lot of the characters have similar traits. Like I said, Carrot coming from the mountains. He's also, you know, still trying to catch all the criminals. But for some reason in this, he's a bit... I don't know if I want to say more intelligent. Um, but he's like more intelligent when he shouldn't be. And he's more stupid when he shouldn't be. Um, like, he's he's known in the book for being an excellent fight. He's very in shape. Um, he's like a prodigy of a watchman. Hmm. But he's, like, practicing in front of a mirror, and he's, like, dropping arrows and shit that he's meant to be holding. And it's like... Why? <laughs> that, that's not right. That's just not... And Sam Vimes... He is a uh, like a down on out captain, who's uh, very mature, but also he has like a terrible drinking problem and he has demons in his head kind of thing. Yeah, but they decided like he's still got a drinking problem, but he's also kind of just a fucking nutcase. Like, even when he's not been drinking, he's like trying to. Well, he'd probably still try and piss on a dog in the book, but for different reasons. Hmm. Um, like, he, he's just always being this, like, Johnny Depp-esque, swaggering from side to side, doing ridiculous things which don't make sense. Um, and they've also yeah. made him super fucking skinny, whereas I think in the book he was kind of a bit more of a full-figured man. Yeah, this... Just, again, going back to what I, I said, this... The more you describe of it, the more I'm, like, very confident. It's somebody who, like, saw maybe some Terry Pratchett movies, maybe heard the books described to them by someone else, and they're like, you know what, I did, these are some cool ideas, but I can do it better. And they just decided to write their own fan fiction poorly, and it got greenlit yeah. to go on TV. But there's also aspects of multiple of the Watch books, because, for a start, they, like, straight up shoehorn in the fact that Carrots will be girlfriend, and by the way, it's very obvious that they're going to be girlfriends in the mm. boyfriend in the in the TV show right off the bat. They very quickly tell you that she's a werewolf. And oh, is she the one that showed up in the the movie, the postal movie? Yes, except she looks like ten years younger than this, and she's got like spiked up hair, and I don't know. It's kind of weird. They did it better in Going Postal, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, also, she wears... You know how in the Going Postal she was in, like, armor mm -hmm. with, like, a proper helmet and stuff? She wears dungarees in this. Um, I... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I okay. Uh, this is something that really, really annoys me. Um, the, you see it happening with a lot more fictional things now. Where they'll mm. take a source material and they'll just decide to, to modify it and change it because they think it's, I don't know, it's going to be more times, appealing yeah. or something like that. It's it's off. It's one of the things that, like, 
they didn't do this a lot in The Witcher, but they did it a little bit. Um, like the Witcher Netflix series, because I, I did end up really liking that. I think I talked about it early on in the podcast because I had just finished seeing it. It was, it was a good series, but mm. they modified things to try and, I, I don't know, make some characters more interesting or something, and it just ended up making things a little bit more shallow, and it just, it's. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I remember that character in Going Postal. Like, I thought she looked really cool, and I was like, man, I want to know more about this person. But the way you just described her there, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about this person. Yeah, she seems a lot more high schooler now. And, um, yeah, they, they've obviously... They, they've they've mixed around with the timeline, as we said. So they have uh, these imps in boxes, which act like cameras. Basically, in the Terry Pratchett world, cameras don't work how they do in this world. In a camera, there's a tiny little imp with a paintbrush... Who just fills in what's happening really quickly, and then makes a whole bunch of these slides. Yeah. And so Vimes reaches into one of these cameras, which shouldn't even be around at this point in the story, but whatever. Pulls out the imp out of the back, and by the way, the imp looks so fucking stupid in this. It looks like they've painted a man green, mm. and they put some silly putty on his face. Yeah, like the budget for the fucking costume on that was awful. Um. And he pulls out these slides, and suddenly he has an iPad in his hands. It's like, wait, no, you just... Sh if you're going to show the imp drawing the fucking thing, then you can't have, like, an interactive camcorder iPad bullshit. Like, whew. Um And they also, it seems like the main story they've taken from one of the books where... Um, I, c I can't remember the exact details of the book because it has been many years since I've read it. Vimes finds the person who killed his old mentor, who also used to be his old friend. And the guy, Vimes could have arrested him, but instead he let him fall to his death from on top of a building. Mm. And instead of the guy dying, he goes back in time, no, goes forward in time, and fucks with Vimes in the present day. Um, and so you see, it's, it's definitely that plot, because the exact same thing happens, and you... In the first episode, you meet the guy, and he's, like, still as young as he was back then. But Vimes is now 20 years later. Whatever. Um, like, oh, they just, they've cut up so much. They've cherry-picked too much. There's nothing left on the tree at this point. Like, it's, 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 they've done it. It poorly. sucks, but, but the way you described the, like, the Watch book series, it, it it's kind of a shame when... Somebody takes an IP, decides to, you know, make a TV show out of it, and you're like, oh, I love the books, I, I, I can't wait to see this, and then it ends up being just wrong. Well, there's, like, so there's the the, the Going Post, which obviously I've shown you, and there have been yeah. two other films as well. Going Post is pretty each, good. each one of them have been wildly different from the last, in terms of uh, the way they've been shot. But they all keep to the general theme that, mm -hmm. that connects. Um, this feels like something completely different. Maybe because they made it a TV show instead of a movie. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm still going to watch it. Because I love the series. Because I love Terry Pratchett's writing. Yeah. I'm just... I, I don't want to get annoyed by it, but I'm still going to watch it kind of thing. I've got... I, I've too much invested in it. Um... So this is 
I can only think of one other thing that I've gone through similar to this, like, that's almost exactly the same. Hmm. I, like, big fan of Halo. I talked about that in the first segment. Um, and yep. when I was in high school, I read the Halo books that were out. At that point, there were only three. There was The Fall mm. of Reach, which was a prequel to Halo 1. There was... I actually don't remember what the second one was called, but it's essentially expanding on the story of Halo 1, where it's it's going on, like, everything that's happening in Halo 1. It's just following not only Master Chief, but the other humans that are, you know, stranded on Halo. And then um, First Contact, I think it was... Uh, and that's the one that it's it's a um it's in between Halo 1 and 2 and it kind of fills mm. in the gaps. Fall of Reach is an excellent book. It's the origin story of like the Spartans and everything. Love it. I've read it multiple times. They made a animated series um when Halo Oof. 5 came out to go with it. And I was yeah. like really excited. It's like, "Oh, I can finally, you know, I'm going to see this." No. They fucking butchered the story. It was so bad. Like, they they tried, and they did what they always do when they, they bring books to TV. They, they try to, not always, but it happens more often than I, it, than not. They they tried to, like, spice everything up, and they, they simplified the plot. In, yeah. And the things they cut out were some of my favorite parts of the story. Right. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that because I did. I did actually have something I wanted to talk about in the the media segment, um, but it, yeah, I can sympathize. I, I, I w- there's one last thing that I will mention about it. Sure, and that is a particular character who, about halfway through the watch series, or maybe a bit later than that, becomes Vimes' wife. Mm-hmm. It normally you meet her through pretty regular circumstances. I think she comes to watch with a crime and wants it solved. In this episode one, Vimes gets knocked out from behind when he's doing a routine investigation. He wakes up in someone in her cellar, chained to a breeze block, and she's telling off like eight different people in the cellar who are also chained up for not like stopping crime in the city. Uh, furthermore, so Vimes is a pretty old guy, right? And so is this lady. This actor is the same one from The Expanse, this lady. Uh, wait, the the chick with the weird hairdo? The main character chick. Yeah. The, yeah, African-American one. No, she's she, um, um, the, um, what is it, the, the belter that's a part of their group. Yes. Yeah. So, played by her, which... Very different age range to Vimes, I'd say. Um, She's bold, and she wears, like, a ginger wig. Uh, And, like, oh, God. And she's also suddenly this fucking... She's no longer a a middle-aged woman who looks after sickly dragons. She's a, a person who, like, pulls out a dragon and sets people on fire... So and they, then pushes them into a sewer where they get eaten by monsters. It's like, what the fuck? So they, they took her from being, like, uh, like an older, mature woman who is just, like, living a normal life to an absolute... No, who to has a, young, a lot of gravitas and who yeah, is kind to of a, a To a young lady. sociopath. Yes. <laughs> and I just, it just it fucking blows my mind. I, I just... it's That's probably the, one of the biggest changes. And I don't know... It, I don't like her character. 
Yeah, know. just going going back to the Invincible comics um, that I was talking about before. That's what they did to the first love interest that the main character has. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're going to do in the later seasons because that character basically falls off the face of the earth, and they've made her a major character, and they've made her an asshole. Whereas in the comics, she was just a normal person. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, that, that's me, Ren. I, I, like I said, I'm still going to watch it all. Maybe my pins will change after a couple of episodes, but... Not likely. <sighs> They're playing with fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I watched two movies, actually, over my... So I, I had a few days off uh, for 4th of July. Okay. Yeah, my, yeah. My, my company... Like, 4th of July was Sunday, so my company gave us Friday, Monday, and Tuesday off. Very generous of them. Because normally you just get one day off. It's a national holiday. Yeah. Um, so I had a few extra days. I watched some movies, um, on, over the, the weekend. One was a movie that had just come out called, uh, Tomorrow War. And the other one was that movie, uh, Knives Out. I think it may have been you or Alicia that told me about it. I've not heard of either of them, so. Right. Tomorrow War, uh, Amazon original movie. Um, it, it is not... If you're looking for, like, hard sci-fi, and if you think too hard about it, the plot is nonsense. Mm. But if you just want to watch a movie where people, like, do cool space stuff and shoot monsters, like a, in a post apocalypse, it's fun. And they, they, they tie up the plot in a very satisfying way, even if it's a bit contrived. Like, the, if, if you just kind of, like, turn your brain off and watch it, the movie is very, very satisfying. So the, But when I describe the plot, you're going to immediately go, okay, that's complete nonsense. So the, the plot, this the main character, uh, who's played by Chris Pratt, um, who's apparently becoming an action star now, uh, ever since he did Guardians of the Galaxy. He's transitioned from goofy comedy role to, like, serious action role. Um, him and his family are having, like, a Christmas party. Um, you know, he's... It's, he's it's established that he's ex-military and he's trying to get a, a civilian job working in a, like a laboratory, like a research position in the private sector. And he, but he, in the meantime, he's currently teaching at a high school. Um, and he gets rejected for the job, gets really pissed off, goes inside and just, you know, sits down with his family and just is like dejected. But, you know, he's watching soccer on the TV with his, his daughter and wife while, you know, the rest of the Christmas party's going on around them. And then, in the middle of the soccer game, giant blue rift thing opens up, and people in, like, armor and with, like, weapons and shit, like, walk out onto the field and announce that they're from the future. And that mm-hmm. in 30 years' time, there's, like, most of the human population has been wiped out. They announce this to the whole stadium, and they, they need the help of the past. Um, what right. that... They, they, they do, like, a montage, like, summarizing the next, like, year or so of what's happening. And it turns out that they, they what the way they decide to help the future, because they, they, they had, like, in this last-ditch effort, created this one warp rift that goes from one point in the future to one point in the past, and they can't alter that. So they're, they're there now, and it's, it's up to them. So the armies of the present go into the future through this warp rift and because of the staggering casualty rates, um, they start to send in civilians that are just drafted and sent in. And they, I think it's something like a 20% survival rate. Okay. 
again, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why they send people instead of like logistics what are they weapon. Fighting again? They don't tell you. They they tell you they're called the White Claws, but you don't know what they are yet. <laughs> what drinks? Wait, is that a drink? Yeah, White Claws a drink in America. Is not it in England? Okay, yeah. well I've never. Oh, is that that hard cider or hard hard seltzer water? I think. Uh, I think so. Maybe. I don't know. I've just seen it in like YouTube videos of people going like White Claw. I've never had them. Uh, I. Now that you mention it, maybe I've seen them. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, yeah, anyway, gone. so Chris Chris Pratt gets recruited, uh, gets a little mm. arm dandy thing on, and sent to the future. Um, he he goes there with some people, and you know they get dropped in the middle of Miami, which is basically a war zone at this point. It's established they don't tell people what the White Claws look like because if they did, they're people would probably refuse to come or something like that. Mm. Which, again, doesn't make any sense because they've got a, a draft now to recruit people. They don't have a choice. Mm. So, doesn't matter. He gets sent in and they talk to the, the people. Uh, like, he, he coordinates with the civilians that get sent with him. Like, he's clearly one of the only people there with any experience. There's a few other people that have been to the future multiple times. Like, they've volunteered to come back and keep fighting. And these people are like, you know, hard, hardcore. Um, anyway, they, they're, set, they're tasked to find a research team. Um, the research team's already dead. They managed to barely make it out. Very few of them survive. Why? What are you laughing at? This just sounds like the, the most bog-standard vanilla StarCraft 2 opening campaign game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is, honestly. That's why I, I, I preface this by... The movie is enjoyable if you don't think about it too hard, because it's okay. it's very visually appealing. The acting yeah. is well done, and like the plot ties its all of its loose strings up in a in a satisfying way at the end. Um, but the plot also, it has an ending. It does have an ending. <laughs> Why wouldn't it have an ending? Oh no, sorry. I thought we were talking about a, a TV series. No, no, it's a movie. I, I, yeah, no, it's a movie. Um. And so, he, like, only only three of the people from the original party survive out of, like, the yeah. 20 that went went in there. And so you, you also get to see the monsters. They're these crazy, like, dinosaur things with tentacles that shoot spikes out at you. Um, they're, they're pretty vicious looking. Yeah. So Chris Pratt and two other guys survive. One of them is, like, the hardcore, like, I've been here three times guy. And the other one is just this mm. chubby research guy. Um... Chris Pratt gets called away because they have something specific they need him to do. And he's talking to the, the commander and she's giving him a brief on what's happened. Like, oh, it's, you know, there's only like 500,000 people left on the, or 500 million people left on Earth or something like that. So basically everyone's dead. Um, they're, they're living in the Caribbean now because everywhere else on Earth is basically taken over by them. Um, they've got like a fortress island that they're all in. And they've got, like, one plan left, and that's to... and But before, like, she gets through the explanation, someone comes over to her and says her name, and, you know, it's Colonel, and then it's the same last name as Chris Pratt, and he realizes, that's my daughter in the future. Yeah. And so they have, uh, you know, a bit of a, a moment together. And then um, she briefs him on the plan. They use a toxin that wipes out all the mail. So basically it's like a 
kind of like an in- insect species. There's a queen, and then all of the males are just like drones. Kind of like the zerg. <laughs> kind of like the zerg. Um, <laughs> honestly, now that you say that, the parallels between it and a lot of the StarCraft uh, campaigns are pretty, pretty stark. Um, but <gasps> the toxin doesn't work on the queens for some reason. So their their goal is to capture queen to synthesize a toxin that'll wipe them all out. Yeah. Um, they manage to do it. Um, Chris Pratt disobeys his daughter's, because she's her, his commanding officer, disobeys her order to try and save her, and she's pissed at him. And then he asks, like, what happened, because she's clearly angry at him for more than that. And she reveals that what he did in this timeline was he never found satisfaction in his life, and because that lab job and stuff didn't pan through, and eventually mm-hmm. him and his mother grew apart, they divorced, and he dies in a car crash. And so the daughter, like, really never, like, she, she loved him, but she never really forgave him for that. And so they, they have, he, he has this, this moment of just like, God, am I really that shitty a person? Like, is that what I become? And so he has that moment of self-reflection. They manage to synthesize the toxin and they have a few more heart to hearts where, like, um, clearly she's starting to forgive him for what he and that timeline did and, it's it's a it's a very touching moment, but that goes through, and then the queen is being sensed at this location where they're studying her, and so like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these things are all swarming through the ocean towards this fortress island that they have, and so, so they can breathe underwater, um, or they can swim really well. Okay, can or they glide? Can, yes, they can glide. They have like webbed thingies. They're basically like an apex predator. Okay. So they can they can operate in the sea, they can operate on land, they can operate in the cold, they can operate in the heat, like just everywhere. Um, I mean, they wouldn't even really need like, all right, th- theoretically, land in the middle of a fucking ocean. Mm. There's no fucking way we could do shit about that. <laughs> just colonize the ocean. That's what ninety percent of the earth. Yeah, seventy percent. Seventy percent, right? Yeah, and then just. <laughs> Anyway, but so the giant big ass fight scene with like the last remnants of humanity trying to fight off all these alien or beast creature things, whatever they are, (laughs) before they get into the island. And that's when Mm -hmm. uh, his daughter reveals like her big plan is to, you know, they don't have the, the, the technology or the industry anymore to synthesize enough of this poison to wipe out everyone. So her plan is to send him back in time with it so that he can give it to people in the modern day who can then synthesize a shitload of it. And then he can come back with a shit or somebody can come back with a shitload of it and wipe out everything in the, in the present. Yeah. Um, or at least kill them when they, they show up in the past. So hang on, I, I'm picturing it, right? So yeah. she's waving goodbye to him as he walks through the portal. No. Then she turns around and there's like an old version of him with like, a buttload of chems. You think that's what would happen, but no. The base gets overrun, basically everyone's dying, she's severely injured because she's gotten attacked, and, like, he's gonna get teleported back automatically in, like, a few minutes. And so it ends with, like, her falling into the ocean with, like, all these things swarming below her like sharks, like, so she's gonna die and just... And, like, he dives after her, but he gets teleported back before he can, like, grab her. So, she's dead. And because this island base was destroyed, that the time rift thing is dead, so they have no way to get back to the future. But he's still got the, the stuff. 
So he gives it to the people in the, the present, tells them what they need to do, and, you know, apparently because of all the trauma of all of the people being sent to the future and the, the casualty rates and the knowledge that these things are going to show up, there's riots all over the world, like, tensions are rising, nations are talking about, like, you're posturing to go to war. So no government wants to, to really deal with this right now. Um, so it all culminates in them... Like him coordinating with some of the people that went to the future with him and some other characters that had shown up throughout the, the movie uh, in the present and try, and figuring out that these things don't show up in 30 years. They've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they're buried in the ice caps. And so he leads like um, kind of a commando team up to like Siberia in the Russian ice caps because that's where they showed up. It's established. And they find the it was actually like an alien ship that was carrying them as like cargo and they go through and i'm spoiling the plot because honestly if you're watching this movie for the plot you're doing it wrong yeah. like it's it's a fun plot but it's not very intelligent yeah, so they, they it's, go it's, they've stolen the prometheus thing about the ship crashing and there's an other organism on board the ship that some other alien species was looking after yep and now, yeah, cool. And so they go in, they manage to blow up the ship, um, and there's a very, there's a, a very satisfying ending where, um, so Chris Pratt's dad, who's established early on in the movie as like a Vietnam vet and had some trauma and left his family, and so they had a rocky relationship, and um, they they make up, and he because his dad's the only like has has like um, is a pilot and is able to get them to Siberia kind of under the radar. Um, and there's this really, really satisfying, I just, one of my favorite scenes and lines in the entire movie, one of the aliens gets out and it's the last one and they have to stop it because it's, it's a queen. So it could keep breeding and then they could come out and what? But it's, if it's the only one, it can't. No, it, it's, I, they, they don't know exactly how these things reproduce, so they don't want to risk it getting out. Okay. Like an alien again, where it's just one mother that just, yeah, blip, that could blip, blip. pop out a bunch of them. Anyway, so um, his dad, who's played by the same guy who, um, you know, in the, the original Spider-Man movies, the guy that played the uh, the head of the reporting agency? I can't remember uh, his name. Johnny Joe Johnson. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. He plays his dad. And there's this hilarious scene where um, Chris Pratt thinks that his dad's about to get chomped because the queen's, you know, charging and there's you can see a figure kind of in the distance. Um, and it's his dad's jacket, and it grabs it, but it's just a snowdrift with the jacket on it. And mm. then it cuts over to his dad with a like a fifty cal sniper rifle, like looking down the scope of this thing, and he just goes dumbass, and then shoots it. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. It's a very satisfying ending to the movie, or at least I found it to be, because just yeah. there's no plot thread that was started that they didn't resolve somehow, even if it's a little contrived the way they resolve it, and. Um, yeah, you know, the 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 three, in my opinion, most awesome characters in the movie live, and then there's there's kind of a, a moment at the end where, like, Chris Pratt kind of makes a, he makes a like he's not gonna let what happened in the other timeline happen. This timeline, he's staying with his family. He's gonna raise his daughter, and he makes up with his father, and he's now part of the family's life. It's just a very, very satisfying ending. Yeah, I mean. 
So obviously, I feel like the the choice that it all happens in California was probably one where the director or whatever was like, "Free holiday in California. Let's base it there." I don't think it happens in California. Didn't you say it happens in California? I said Caribbean. The 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 island oh, the happens in the sorry. Caribbean, and then they the Caribbean they, yeah. even better. Yeah, it's tropical. <laughs> like realistically, like Britain because it's an island. Or, like, Greenland, because it's miserable and an island. <laughs> like, those would be the places they would go. Uh, maybe some, like, mountain in Russia. Not they go, I a mean, little they, ways off the coast of America. <laughs> they do go to the Arctic at, at one point. I mean... Yeah, but that's where the aliens start. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A good chunk of the movie is set in Florida as well, I think. Because Miami is the first place they go for a fight. Oh yeah, great! Was, the director had to pick up some of his white powder to get the to get the game going. I mean, yeah, it was not again not the most intelligent plot, but it was just it was a fun watch. Um, yeah, it's kind of like watching Transformers by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, although with more likable characters. Cause I, I didn't really like Shia LaBeouf in Transformers. It was a bit Jazz of a, was cool. Yeah. But Jazz, Jazz was cool in the original series, too. Jazz is always cool. Yeah. That's uh, his character, the cool guy. He is. Uh, but yes, anyway, we're best... Uh, yeah, we better wrap up. Alright, this is going to be the end of segment two of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you'll hear us again momentarily for segment three. Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment three, our wild card, and this week we are back to a book review. Um, we talked about Red Rising before, and I've actually um, been reading, well, I finished the second book weeks ago now, and I'm almost done with the third one. I kind of took a break because I've been speeding through it, um, and I knew that we had to do this, and I had to remember most of what happened. Um, now... The last one of these I did when I was describing the plot, um, I kind of, I had just finished the book, so it was fresh in my memory. Golden Sun is a few weeks off now. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> second book in the Red Rising trilogy, the original trilogy, uh, Golden Sun. In the last book, we established that it was a kind of, dis well, I don't know if it's somewhat dystopian, like, future where humanity's colonized all the moons and terraformed Mars. It's and empiric. Yeah. It's a very authoritarian um, structure. So the society has established that it's it's very stable and very somewhat peaceful, at least at, in the Strong lower... Strong and stable. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's stable, but it's not, not... It's pretty much the polar opposite of egalitarian, where you've got people physically different amongst the different classes, reds being at the bottom, golds being at the top, and then everyone has their um, color in between. Blues are like pilots and tech people. Greens are media people. Coppers are like um, you know the money people. Uh, whites are the justice department. You know, pinks are servants. Silvers. I don't remember. What, yeah, what what are the silvers? I I don't know. They barely show up. They're like they administrators, right? Like, no, like Quicksilver was a. Um, oh yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. They're like just below the gold, so they're like the the industrialists, the media moguls, mm. the the businessmen. Yeah. 
Anyway, so that's summary. In the last book, it followed a red who had his wife executed and had to... Well, not had to, but was recruited by a terrorist organization called uh, the Sons of Ares, who were essentially trying to you know, overthrow the society and kind of allow for a more equal... Uh, equal amongst all, all people, essentially. Uh, where you've got... You know, the, the Reds aren't just enslaved in the mines. Um, you know, the people have more opportunity to choose their own life, find their own happiness. Yeah. Um, now, throughout that book, it followed mostly the exploits of the main character, Darrow, um, at the Academy, or Institute, whatever they, they called it, where he... It's basically where the golds go to become the highest-ranking golds called the, the Peerless Scarred. Essentially, people who they put them through the process of like going from primitive to civilized, and they try to structure it so they have to follow the same path as the um, the golds did to take over the solar system and build their society. It's essentially a fucked up version of university. Yeah, it's well, it's it's Harry Potter meets the Hunger Games, honestly. Yeah, where a, a peerless scar is the equivalent of a doctorate. Hmm. Anyway, so he manages to do something unprecedented and, like, essentially beat the instructors at the academy, essentially. Um, the, the proctors, the people who are overseeing uh, all the activities of the students. And by doing that, he catches the attention of the Archgovernor of Mars, who was the guy who sentenced his wife to death. And at the end of the book, he had pledged his loyalty to that guy um, to try, like, to serve him. And thinking that that's how he rises through the ranks, and then he'll have enough power eventually to take down the society. Now, in in the beginning of this book, he's at the it was called the institute because the academy is what he goes to next, and this is a more like formal education where they're playing war games, learning how to operate starships, learning combat skills, like all this. Yeah, this stuff. book is very different from the first one. Very different. Because now, because uh, the first one, they, it was mostly out in the wilds and stuff. You know? Yeah, they're hitting each other with sticks. Now they're using literal battle cruisers. Yeah. Uh, I've been taught how to use them. And captain them as the Peerless Guard. Yeah. And so the book opens up with kind of a, a what I assume is like a final exam at the Academy, where he is in a, a battle with the brother of his main rival from the Academy, hmm. who was... Like, not it wasn't his rival at the beginning, but um, the the Bologna family, who he's kind of made huge enemies with. One because he killed one of their their sons in the um, in the academy. He was forced to, and two because now he's with the arch governor uh, arch governor's house, who's like bitter bitter blood rivals with the Bologna family. And so he's in, like, a space combat with one of them, and he thinks he has him on the ropes, but turns out. You know, the guy laid a trap for him, and he loses. Yep. Um, but not just loses. Like, there's the number of people on each of these battle cruisers who are just following his command. There's, like, what, hundreds of thousands or something? It's, it's something ridiculous. It's thousands, yeah. Yeah. And so all of the, like, all the lower colors, like, most of the golds make it off. Um, a lot of the higher-ranking people make it off. But most of the lower colors, they just die. Yeah. Many thousands of people just die in a training exercise at the academy. Yeah. And so, 
it's kind of it's revealed at that point that well not revealed but after that you know that that whole humiliation essentially uh he's talking to his sponsor the arch governor um and they, they kind of introduce a few other characters the arch governor's got this guy named Pliny, who's essentially he's what's what people call like a a bronzy as Plant. kind of oh uh, yeah, <laughs> as a derogatory term golds like lesser golds are referred to as like bronzy or something like that and, but he's more of an administrator and a politician rather than a peerless. He, he never went to the academy to or become mm. a peerless guard. That guy's kind of manipulating, conniving. But the arch governor essentially is like, "All right, we can't deal with this humiliation. You're being your contract's being traded to another house. You know, we're going to Luna for this big conference." And um, sorry, partially also because after that big shit battle. The guy who beat him then came along with the rest of his family members, beat the shit out of Darrow, filmed it, and pissed on him. Yeah. And As the, is the tradition of this book series. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of piss in this book series. Like, I don't know. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So that happens. Yeah, that's 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 true. That was the other reason. So not only did he get beaten, he then got humiliated after the fight. And all of that stuff, he's like, we can't have you tarnishing the family name like this. You're going to go off and find, you know... You know, find your your purpose elsewhere. So they're heading back to Luna for a big conference because the moon of Earth is the center of government in this this world, in this uh, universe. <laughs> and um, so they go there for the, this big conference, and he's going to essentially be auctioned off. And um, once he gets there, he finally. Okay, it's it's established that he's been out of contact with the Sons of Ares, that terrorist group, for quite a while. Like, he couldn't get in contact with them at all. And eventually, he's going around on the moon, like, meeting with, you know, various people. And kind of, it, they give you updates on what all the different characters are, are doing. His main rival from the Institute, the guy referred to as the Jackal, who was, like, the, his, his other ruthless warlord, the guy that they were trying to cheat to, like, let win... Um, also the, the actual biological son of the arch governor, but also a sociopath. Um, he invites him to a meeting, uh, where there's essentially, he's, he's saying that he has a plan to ally with him to do something. I can't remember exactly what, but essentially to make his father recognize him was his whole purpose, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Darrow's under house arrest, um... Thanks to Pliny. And uh, one of the women turns up and is like, here's a stealth suit to make you look like an obsidian so you can slip out. Mm. And then they go to meet uh, the jackal at a seedy bar in a very seedy part of the the, the planet. Yeah. Um, where he's discussing, uh, yeah, a, a way of using media, because the jackal owns like 80% of the media and he's, I can't remember what he wants to do with it, but he, he wants Darrow um, to help with spreading yeah. a message. Yeah, that's that's what it was. And then one of the, the pinks comes by, and Darrow recognizes it as one of the pinks that was working for the guy that, you know, carved him up to make him look and be a gold. And um, he when he realizes she's there, he's like, oh, this is my chance to get in contact with the Sons of Ares and all that. Um, and... She recognizes him and then takes him upstairs on the 
uh, auspices of it's going to be she's going to, you know, sleep with him. Um, that's how they get away from the jackal. And then she reveals that um, she her mission was to either kill or capture the jackal. But when she saw Darrow, they went with just kill him and get him out. Daryl realizes, oh shit, there's a bomb down there, and if the jackal dies, then so does my chance to actually, you know, get out of this shit situation I'm in. So he rushes downstairs, grabs the jackal, barely gets him out before the bomb goes off, killing everyone else in the bar and severely injuring the jackal. So Darrow saves the jackal, the jackal's grateful, and then he goes off to find where the, um... The pink that he knew and the other uh, woman from the Sons of Aries, Harmony, the super violent one from the first book. Yeah. And so they have a bit of a powwow there. Um, he's super pissed off at the pink because she seems perfectly okay with the fact that she just murdered thousands of people or hundreds of people that were in that bar. Yeah. And um, also who were like just regular pinks and reds and, and greens and grays yeah, and all the other all random low colors yeah and anyway so they have a bit of a heart to heart harmony oh he uh mickey the guy who turned him from a red into a gold he's there too but he's clearly very harrowed they've basically got him as slave labor because they stole all his assets and are forcing him to make like beefed up red soldiers to help them fight and um darrow at the time is like thinking like oh they have no idea what they're getting into like because he's seen the kind of power and technology that the golds have and he's like a couple people with like you know beefed up arms aren't gonna do shit um but harmony manages to tells him that she has a mission for him she tells him that a the first guy that recruited him is dead um yeah. and b the, the original he... leader of the sons of Ares. yeah well, apart from Ares himself exactly yeah and so, and she tells him that he can't talk to Ares or anything like that. But the, his mission is this. He's going to go into this big conference that the Golds are having with a bomb around his neck and then just detonate it in there. Suicide bomb the whole place. Yeah, it's like a ring. Is it a ring? I thought it was, I thought it was a necklace. Okay, never mind. Okay, it's, it's a ring. ring he's yeah. yeah, okay. So it's a ring. And essentially it's like a thermonuclear bomb and it'll blow up the entire conference. Um, yeah. him along with it, and it'll kill all these leading golds, and she thinks that'll be a way to topple down the society. And, like, the the queen as well. Yeah, the, that's true. The uh, the sovereign, I think. Yeah. Sovereign, that's the word. Octavia yeah. Aulun. Who resides over the entire universe, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the whole solar system. So, yeah. he's... she He doesn't want to do it. He says, this is stupid, like, you don't understand what you're you're doing. And then she accuses him of getting too close to them, and then to convince him, uh, she shows him a video of the video of his wife being hanged, and then through audio enhancement reveals that the last her last words to her sister um, were were telling her to go home and hide a crib they had at home because she was pregnant. So not only did the governor hang his wife, but also his unborn child with her. Which he didn't know about. Yeah. Which he didn't know about. And so now that, that like, not only depresses him, but finally convinces him, like, he's, it puts him into shock, and he's like, okay, I'll do it. Yep. <clears throat> so he goes back, and one of his friends, the, uh, the guy, the poet guy, um, Roke, who's one of his closest confidants and closest friends still, 
Um, he, uh, he injects him with something to put him to sleep so that he can't, um, he can't go to the conference and get, he doesn't want him to get blown up with everyone else. Um, he then goes to the conference and he's just very dejected and out of it the whole time. And he, he lays the bomb and there's like a voice code activation to set it off. And he just, he's going to do it. And then what, what finally like he, then he sees his old, um, his old fling from the first book, uh, Mustang, um, who's the daughter of the, uh, the arch governor of Mars walk in with is it Cassius? I think his name is Cassius, right? Cassius Albalona. Yeah, no. Cassius Albalona, the guy who he was friends with in the first book, but then when that guy found out what he'd done to his brother, kind of uh, left the, him for... The amazing swordsman. Yeah. And so, those two are together. They're coming as a, as a couple to this thing, which, again, he finds a little weird because their two families are bitter bitter blood rivals excuse me I just like burped <laughs> I hope that didn't come through on the mic um, he goes out to try and clear his head and think about things and um, has actually I, I found like a really interesting heart to heart with Cassius's older brother um, the, 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 I thought about heart to heart maybe head to head but it was, it, there was a, a, the way they described it in the book, and I really liked this line, and I wish I could remember it word for word, was that he was most comfortable around him because they both hated each other bitterly and knew it. Like, there was no pretense, no false, you know, formality or anything like that. And something he says, like, you know, sets him off a little bit, and that's when Cassius walks in. And so he wanders out to clear his head and that's when he kind of, like, snaps into focus. And he's like, what am I doing? This bomb isn't going to fix anything. Like, it's like, there's there's so much, like, so many better ways to do this. And he knows what he has to do to, like, you know, take back power and, and get back on the right track to, you know, accomplishing his mission of taking down the society. And so he goes back into the room and just very loudly and boastfully, you know, talks about who he is and some of the things that had happened to him, like the you know, the thing, the guy that pissed on him and everything, walks yeah. across the room and then jumps up onto Cassius's table and, like, leans down right in his face, kicks a pitcher of wine into his lap and then goes and challenges him to a duel. Yep. And a bit of talking with Mustang and stuff first, but... Eh. There is. Yeah, th there's, there's some, some more dialogue there, but I'm trying to get through the major points yeah yeah, yeah. um it's it's a much more long and intricate scene than i'm describing anyway so they they finish that uh and then they go out into the yard to have a duel cassius you yeah. know very very Which has been authenticated by the uh sovereign hmm. like because they're not meant to normally be dueling in a place like this yeah the sovereign was like all right the sovereign yeah. says she'll allow it and she allows it it's it's kind of implied because Cassius is such a great swordsman. He's not going to lose this. So yeah. she thinks, oh, by the way, Cassius has also just been promoted to a, like a really, really high rank, like in the, yeah. the society. I think he's and also, sorry. No, no, go on. I was going to say, and also uh, it's, there's heavy rumor that he's going to be one of the Queen's, the sovereign's guards. Yeah. And so 
it's like she's like okay this is an easy win i'll let him you know kill this riffraff this nobody who just got pissed yep. on and um so they have a they they start the duel and everyone's gathered around and watching uh until it's it becomes apparent that not only is uh darrow a match for cassius but he's clearly outmatching him well actually the first part of it cassius is like overwhelming darrow easily. yeah but it's all a feint. Yeah. It's all it's all just to make him think that he's going to win. Um. Anyway, so, but then Darrow like turns the tables on him and reveals that he's been training with like the most accomplished swordsman in the whole society. Um, yeah. This guy uh, Lorna Arcos, um, and he eventually then he just starts picking Cassius apart, like cripples him, injures him. Um, cuts his arm off at one point, taunts Cassius's father into trying to stop things, and mm, the sovereign, and yeah, and the sovereign even tries to stop things at one point. But you know, people point out that, hey, you know, once you start, you 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 sanction this, it's got to go to its yep. conclusion. Um, Fucking uh, Pax's dad is there. Yeah. Oh my God, the oh, Telemannus. Telemannus. The Telemannus guys, they're so awesome. Um, oh, I'm trying to think what happened. So. He cuts his arm off, um, yep. and that kind of ends the duel. Then things like erupt into an actual brawl. Like the two families start going at each other, and the fa- the friends of the family yeah. start going at each other. And the reason of it is because the it was a fight to the death. That was yeah. assured from the start. The sovereign said it, and then the moment the sovereign saw that her expert swordsman was about to die, she stopped the duel, and multiple families. Uh, including the Telemanus and the um, the faction that Darrow was from was about to get kicked out of, were like, what the fuck is this double standards? This is not the gold way. Yeah. And that's what kicked off the riot. Yeah, and they start to... then. Yeah, it's, it's a riot. So his goal in doing this was to try and start a civil war, and so this is the first stages of that. Hmm. Um, they, they run off, you know, bloodied and harrowed, but they manage to make it out, and they head back to their estate... And the other families head back to their estate, and they make plans to get off the planet and stuff like that. And they're like, "Yeah, we can't, we can't have this." He's going to kill Cassius, and then uh, Mustang kind of persuaded him off of it, and he did it for Mustang. He let him live. Yeah, yeah. But then, then that's when the the brawl and stuff breaks yeah. out and everything. So th- that goes on, and then it, like, uh, he's kind of now re-endeared himself to uh, the. I think it's their family name is Augustus, maybe. Like, um, the yeah, the the Jackals family. Yeah, I think it's Al, Al Augustus. Yeah. yeah, Al Augustin, maybe. Anyway, so they get back, and then in the middle of the night, or they they realize that things are getting even more out of hand. Like, apparently, the Sovereign planned to just slaughter their whole family and their allies in the night, and this whole brawl yeah. thing kind of set that off and made it even like and. Sorry. During the riot, quite a few smaller families actually got completely wiped out, including the children and things. When they're running away yeah. to the ships, uh, they talk about like just multiple families that are completely unrelated are just like taking this yeah. opportunity to cut each other down. They they take the opportunity to settle old grudges and like yeah, take yeah. down people that were family rivals at one point. Um, 
Anyway, so they manage to fight their way to a point in the family estates where they know that other people are, um, like some of their other friends. And um, I can't remember exactly how they get to this point because there's, there's a passage of time where they think they're safe and then, then the real slaughter begins. And um, Darrow manages yeah. to save the Jackal and Roke and a bunch of their other friends. Um, and they're trying to escape on, like, a shuttle, like, to get off yeah, the planet. And Roke is pissed that Darrow injected him. Yeah, he is. And they, they, oh, that's how they get off the planet. They, Darrow kidnaps the Sovereign's grandson and is holding him hostage. Like, he's her heir. In fact, and... I think, uh, Severo does it. Yeah, you're right, oh, Severo does. No, no, you're Mustang right. does no, no, it is Severo. It is, we, Mustang does it, but Severo's there. He, oh yeah, that's right. Um, Severo, the guy who led the Howlers from the first book, the Goblin. Yeah, um, yeah he was. Um, he, it's established that he was stationed off on like Pluto or something like that. And hmm. but Mustang brings him back because she had a plan too to try and take and down the Howlers. Him. Yeah, and so she brings them back, and so they you know burst into his room. And then throw down a like a bag on the bed, and the bag's moving, and it's the sovereign's grandson inside. <laughs> and so, um, Darrow and the Howlers go off, and they they go and try to save the Augustans who are under siege in their own personal estates. Yep. And that's when they rescue everyone. They manage to get to a shuttle and are are heading off planet. And um, one of the queen's like honor guards, her uh, I think are they harpies or Valkyries? They have some mythical title uh, not Valk uh, fuck I can't remember what she was called but Maybe. yeah the, the swordsman the five swordsmen whatever yeah one of them um, manages to capture one of Roke's main love interest uh, and basically kill her right in front of everyone as they're trying to escape and basically just to prove a point like you have that hostage but you you use that hostage and you're done so I can do this and there's nothing you can do about it and yeah. it was kind of just a last power play. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to save the second half of the book for another yeah. one of these. Because we've, yeah. we've already gone on a while, and I do have to start my work day. <laughs> no worries. Okay, um, a bit of a short one uh, yeah, this week. But... A, yeah, a bit of a, a shorter segment than usual. I am sorry about that. We kind of had to squeeze oh, this one in. We have packed a lot. I feel like with the urgency, we've kind of spoken faster anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, this is going to be part one. I will finish up the book review next week. Um, this one was really good, and I don't want to rush through the last half of the book, because the last half of the book is epic. Um, but, yeah. All right, this is going to be the end of episode 50 of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear us again next week. Have a fan-dabby-dozy week. <laughs>